Jordan, I got to warn you, I'm my brain is pretty fuzzy today. We're recording late at night. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so this will be a fun episode. Yeah, I'm in the exact same boat. Yeah, you've been you've been rushing to get some great content out there, but it'll probably already be out by the time anybody uh, listens to this. So let's just sum it up to that we are both we're, we're working hard. And what Jordan does to work hard is he, uh, if you don't recognize his handsome face in the video version of this, he is at DP Review TV reviewing cameras and uh, letting us know what we should be buying and shooting on. And I already lost my train of thought. What's going It's what time is it? It's late. It's like nine 30 PM. And I just poured a coffee because, um, that's just what's happening right now. We're going to ride through the, ride this train together, but we're, we're forcing our <laughs> way through it because there's things to talk about. It's exciting times, even though it's <laughs> late. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's cut to the chase here. Um, the reason that, you know, you and I connected on this week, which, you know, I bring you on all the time, but I thought this was good timing because there's a new camera that we both tried and, uh, got to spend some time with. And what do you think of the new Sony Z Z V1? Yeah. I like how much controversy there is over the Z online. I like what you said over there. Well, did you guys, I didn't actually get any comments about it, which I was surprised. This was my first time dealing with the... The, the Z, Z issue, yeah, because you don't yeah, look at I, Nikon I had cameras. To do before. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was, I was kind of new to it. Um, wh- do you people hate on you for saying Z instead of Z? Is that real? They're just deeply confused. They're like, you don't sound British, but uh, but <laughs> yeah. the way you say words makes me angry, and I can't really yeah, put my finger on why. Yeah. It's really it's frustrating as a Canadian because you don't get the same escape as British. I mean the. I don't know if I've talked about this on the show. This is the thing I think about all the time and I've talked about it to friends is the frustration of being corrected as a Canadian. Um, the first one I got it for was processor. Mm-hmm. And I had never second guessed how I said processor before. Yep. And all of a sudden they're like, why do you say that funny? I'm like, funny, what do you mean? I didn't know. And was it now t- I, I think about it every time. Was so. it Tony Northrup? Because he's been trolling Chris and I on that for <laughs> a couple of years no, now. So. No, it was, it was a more honest to goodness troll, but mm. um but okay, so we've got we've got the Sony. Let's just let's burn through this camera. Thing. Okay, um, what do you think? This is a video all about video camera. It's basically a point and shoot, little compact video focused camera. But the feature set is super capable. Mm-hmm. W- what do you think at this point? Well, I mean, we've been telling all the manufacturers for years, like just make a dedicated vlogging camera, and it's always an action camera that you can kind of use as a vlogging camera, or you know, a mirrorless camera that's a little bulkier. There's never been something purpose-built for it. So this is the closest thing that we've seen to it. Uh, And it's the first example of Sony outside of a camcorder actually looking at a flippy screen. They had to take the Cybershot name off the camera, I'm assuming, just because uh, they were so against flippy screens on every one of their stills cameras. They've been saying that forever. Um, But I think it's very interesting. I do think there's a few serious missteps in it um being a first generation product uh but i kept saying the entire time i was out shooting with chris it's like you know this this is very capable like i i like the image off of it a lot it's not a camera necessarily made for you know chris and i or maybe you tyler um although i know you do substantially more vlogging than i do um but it really streamlines the process you know like you don't have to learn a lot of technical terminology. It's got a lot of modes in it that are just like, we understand what you YouTubers do. And there's a button for most of those things, which is really smart and really useful. Yeah. I mean, right away, I'll say, uh, if, if anybody didn't watch my review of it, I was very enthusiastic about it, but also it's not a camera that I need. Like this isn't, I don't think it really is for me. I don't think I'd have much use for it, even if I owned it, which this is a review unit. So, mm-hmm. but, um, but I like it a lot. Like I like what they tried to do and I think they succeeded at most of it. Like it's pretty great. And I think it's just easy for me to imagine who this is for. There's just a lot of those, a lot of YouTube is filled with regular people, you know, just cat, you know, but yeah. like people doing crocheting tutorials and uh, things that content that isn't related to tech or creative production at all. And for them, they just want to go buy a camera. They don't want to buy a camera and a mic and a monitor mm-hmm. and a thousand memory cards and like figure out the whole thing. They just want to produce content. Um, and this is what I see that fitting in so perfectly for is a very normal person. that's like, look, I just, I know it's important to make videos. I want it to look better than a phone, 
but I don't, I don't really know, you know, I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to spend too much money. This will give you most of the image quality you could hope for. Like you can really compete with any other YouTube channel. And even if you don't buy a microphone, which I'm sorry, but unfortunately a lot of people don't yeah. even like there's professional YouTubers that I still hear not speaking into a proper microphone. And, um, this will at least make it less bad when they do that. Yeah, I remember working, you know, a couple of years ago at the camera store, this audience was constantly coming into the store and it was like, okay, we're going to rig something up with a Canon ADD or a Panasonic G7, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, okay, let me teach you about depth of field and no one cares. They just want to go start their YouTube channel. And for those people, like this is perfect for it. And it's a lot less intimidating as well. Like I... You know, I have very little self-respect when I'm out shooting, but uh, still walking around with an S1H in front of my face, like a big, proper camera, you feel silly out in public. Where something small like this, it just looks like you're talking to a cell phone or something. Uh, you kind of blend in. That's the one place I feel like it can fit, is if you need that image quality and you need to also be inconspicuous, which sometimes there are cases like that, like where pulling out a big camera would just make you draw too much attention to yourself or, uh, you know, especially events like, uh, I think of fashion week coverage sometimes oh, yeah. in certain places, like they're sensitive to what's being recorded where. And if you look like a professional, you might get, you know, it, it even means like we've been doing casual YouTube videos. You get in trouble from security guards because it looks like you're doing something significant. Whereas people that are holding up their phone are not going to get in trouble for it. So that's another opening. And again, in terms of image quality, it's like, I think I think you could mistake it for a bigger camera if yeah. you're not if you're not really staring at the image quality. If you just are watching YouTube video, you don't you don't notice any problems with it. You're like, yeah, this just this looks good. This looks the way a video should look. If you put it right next to a bigger camera, like in my video, it cuts between the Sony to my C200. And in that cut, I can really see it. Like it's not they're not the same. There's quite a bit more noise in in the Sony even in a fully lit scene i found the contrast ratio like you can see that the roll off is a little more aggressive on the, the sony yeah. um, but of course like it's a one thousand dollar point and shoot camera like that's what that's what that's what should be happening so yeah. it's not weird um but you can get some depth of field mm -hmm. uh and there's that clever depth of field button i mean maybe that's actually something we, let's remember before we stop talking about the camera what are the highlight features on here we've got 4k which is unlimited 4k i actually missed that in the briefing i didn't I, like i didn't hear it and then i kind of rediscovered it myself that you can go past 30 minutes mm -hmm. so anybody unfamiliar with 30 minute limits uh it's been <laughs> hell for a generation now and so i'm really glad to see that going away um, but you do have to turn that turn off the like heat management in settings i don't know why they do that but okay what are the other flagship features better microphones with good preamps Really quickly, what are your thoughts on those built-in microphones? The microphone, the mic doesn't sound great. It's very high. There's no low end in it, but it's very clear. Yes. And it was, I actually noticed this watching Chris talk about it on TV Review. Mm -hmm. He was doing the test where he turns the mic around and talks into the back of it. And listening to the back sound, I'm like, oh, that actually sounds a little better. Speaking from behind the mic, it takes... It cuts some of that really high frequency and makes it sound a little bit bassier, mm -hmm. which is, I don't think, intentional. I think they're, it's meant to have the best sound in the front. But, um, but that, that's all to say, like, they're, they're decent mics, but not great mics. But what is great, I, the, the best thing they did, and this is important, is the preamps. Yeah. There's just no, there's no noise. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, I only tested it against two other cameras, the iPhone and, the, and some real microphones, the iPhone and the M100 from Canon. And the Canon was just oh yeah, constant, incredibly loud hiss, like terrible, uh, and tinnier. There was even even less bass. So uh, basically, what, yeah, what you're going to get out of those mics is something very audible and clean and not distracting, uh, but it's not necessarily good. <laughs> Is that, am I describing it well? Yeah, no, I, I think so. I was also quite impressed by how well it tended to suppress noise. Like you can hear what somebody's saying. And today uh, we were just out shooting at a construction site to kind of test that as well. And it does do a very nice job. The other things that I really like on this is uh, they've got this um, product, um, 
Product showcase setup. Uh, yeah, so I, I do really like this feature. Um, I mean, I would say probably half of the stuff on YouTube out there is somebody waving the camera in front of their face and waiting for it to actually snap focus to it. Right, this product is- showcase feature. This is the autofocus mode where you hold your hand close and it prioritizes whatever is near the camera. Well, not necessarily, um, because uh, if you do have something that's been in the frame the entire time, it's not going to snap to it like a microphone mm-hmm. or something. When something suddenly enters the frame, then it'll jump to it. And as soon as it leaves it, it goes back to real-time eye tracking, uh, which is a really smart system. And it really worked. I mean, that was the best part. It was just like, it worked worked 100% of the time. I never had it fail. Yeah, then when we were shooting the video, that was the one standout to Chris was like, it works every single time. I can think of so many people who could use this. And if that's the type of video you do, this is the best camera out there, I think. I have been in that situation where I've been shooting beauty videos, like let's say for Anya's uh, Instagram, stuff like that. She's holding up products towards the camera and it's not focusing, not focusing, not, oh, there it is. Oh wait, now it went back to her face. You got to get it right in front of the face is the only way to make, (laughs) yeah, yeah, there, yeah. So that that was, yeah, I really like that feature a lot. So um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to spend forever on this camera because it's not going to change the world unless you think it is. I don't know. Give me your like summary review of this camera. How do you feel about it overall? Well, I think for the kind of people who don't want to learn about cameras, this is the best thing out there. Like it is better than a cell phone and that cell phones have done an amazing job of simulating bigger sensors for photos because it doesn't take that much processing, but they haven't figured out how to fake depth of field and bokeh in video yet. It's still too intensive. So if you want that bigger camera look, but don't want to learn to use a camera, this is, I can't think of anything else. Can you think of any other camera that fits that description? I mean, there's nothing like it. Just the other RX cameras, but they just, this is targeted for it, right? Like I already think the, the RX 100 series was the closest thing you could get to it. And now they're like, okay, we'll just throw away some of these photo features that don't matter if you're creating video and we'll just focus all of it on one thing. And I am so glad they did. And what I was saying in my review that I hope they do is take that same approach with the a7S three mm-hmm. because I've never thought that I always thought that was something wrong with the a7S two. They're like, okay, this is the video camera. It's all about video, but we're still just going to use the exact same body. Yeah put the record button in the same place. Like it's still, it's still a photo camera yeah. that's just got some slightly nicer internals. Um, yeah. I I would love to see that split be a little more obvious that hybrids don't all have to be photo first. Yeah. And I think it would make so much sense for them. They've got a, this one inch version now make an APS-C version, which I think would be the most popular by far. And then a full frame as well, where it is all, very video forward, but a version of this exact same camera with the same technology with interchangeable lenses, I think would also be very, very popular. Throw a Sigma 16 mil 1.4 on there and you're going to have a beautiful look to it. Uh, Would you, would you find a use for this? Like if you, I don't know if you own one or not, but like, would you pull it out on a regular basis or is it kind of like you've already got all the slots filled? Well, I mean, I've been using my phone so much for like quick interstitials and pieces to camera in the show. So I could, I would happily replace it with this and at least, you know, be able to control, like have a nice normal shutter speed with it. And like I said, some semblance of, you know, depth of field in the shot, I think would make a lot of sense. You know, what it would be great for is actually macro product shots. I didn't, I didn't check the minimum focus. It's Maybe close. It's lo- actually, yeah. is it pretty close? Yeah. It's a third. Yeah, so, I mean, size. if you're shooting, if you're shooting product photos, it's going to be very lightweight. So you could put it on any slider that you want uh, you can focus way in there. And then you've also got a bit more depth of field than a larger sensor, which can be helpful in macro because sometimes you're trying to get a little bit more in focus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for B-roll, th- this could be pretty great. And like image quality wise, it's, I'd call it like 70% of the way there compared to, uh, you know, compared to an APS-C, I guess. Like it's, pr- it's, it's very good. It's not the same, but it's, it can pass. It's definitely for video quality noticeably better than... Uh, mm-hmm. most smartphones, except in terms of dynamic range. It is definitely better than a cell, especially a selfie smart cam or smartphone, which is how people record themselves a lot of the time. Um, when I know I did that test side by side and it was, that was a huge test. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I do think um, I see whenever I look on the forums, especially on TP review, of course, everyone is like, has Sony lost their mind? Like make the camera people want. There's no market for this. I think there is a huge market for this. It's just not the people who frequent 
photography and video forums. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was thinking about that person a little while I made my review. I was like, I think the people that could use this the most aren't going to be the ones searching for this camera on day one. Like the people that want to see this or need to see this review don't know which camera they need to buy yet and are going to be shopping around and need to discover that, oh, Sony has made this great camera that's just right for me. It's not the camera nerds. They just, they already bought a more expensive camera. (laughs) You know, they've already got that need resolved by something else. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Now, are there any issues that you found with it? I I mean it's not wide enough to vlog that's for sure which that's that's not a that's not a problem with the camera it's a problem with the positioning of that this is a great vlogging camera which is you know how, how Sony's representing it and I know some how some people will use it but it sh- it should be wider for that kind of use I wish the stabilization built in was stronger uh because the active stabilization crops a lot and it wasn't that strong either like it's none of the stabilization super strong for and for such a small camera i expected to have a more floaty feel in a good way Mm -hmm. so you know honestly if i was making this camera i would have made that zoom lens something like a you know 20 to 30 millimeter and that's it like i don't i I wouldn't have given it the giant like well it's not a giant range but 24 to 70 it's pretty big range i could have done with just like small range or not even or fixed even but that it's uh, that range that it does have is perfect i don't know but maybe that's just me well it's funny one of the few cameras that was announced and never actually released was nikon's uh, dl 1850 which was a one inch point and shoot with an 18 to 50 full frame equivalent lens so chris and i were just saying like man that would have been it. That that lens was never used. Sony could have just said, mm-hmm. like, you know, you're already buying sensors from us, Nikon. Here's a few extra freebies. Just give us that lens right. design, because that would have been the, the one for this. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Cool. But All I, right. Well, I like uh, it. I'm going to. Yeah, I like it. Too. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of good cameras right now. I don't know. It's like this is the one we're talking about today because we both tested it early. We both got like early access to it. Um but like, there's so many good cameras coming out. There's good cameras I haven't even used. I haven't used a C500 yet. I haven't used an FX9 yet. I mean, these are much more expensive cameras, but cameras I'm very excited about. Uh, what else is What else has come out? I mean, we actually, I guess I've talked about most of the good ones lately. We talked about the Fuji yeah. XT4 on here, which I loved. I don't yeah. think I talked to you about it, yeah. but like, Mine is did just I? right upstairs. Uh, no, I don't Were think you I was on, on that, that episode. Was oh, okay. I don't think. No, I was on the uh, the other one, the X100V episode no, okay. with you. yeah uh but right, yeah, yeah. I lo- which, which i loved this way more like the X, yeah. that was good but like the xt i'm saying the name right right yeah xt4, XT4 yeah was awesome it's a great like, camera that was really great yeah that's yeah. what i shot this episode on anything that wasn't recorded on the rx and yeah. i could totally see it being yeah i you know if i when i have to send this s1h back that might actually become an a cam i'm not sure yet i could see it yeah it's so nice <sighs> All right. Well, what else you been doing? <laughs> I haven't really talked to you since we've been uh, locked up at home. So, I be, I mean, I'll 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 share first. So, we uh we just finished watching all the Harry Potter movies in a row. Uh, about about one a day. It took us a little more than a week to do, and um I'm also reading all the books at the same time. And just before coming to record the podcast, we were playing Harry Potter Trivial Pursuit. Right. So that gives you an idea so you're of where in my it. head's at. Yeah, Maybe deep. why my hair yeah. is so fuzzy at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and I'm, I'm reading, where am I? On? I'm, I'm on book f- four. Yeah, I'm on book four of uh, Order of the Phoenix right now. Uh, I've been doing something sort of similar. Uh, my wife and I have been plowing through Mad Men again, and we got, uh, there's a great book by uh, Matt Zoller Sites that's like a, analysis of every single episode Uh, and it's been great going through it the whole way again but then it's like you got a super smart guy sitting beside you like you probably didn't notice that but that was really important so uh, i recommend that and it's funny i i messaged it to her today because i we've been going through that and vulture today posted an article like why mad men is the best show for quarantine so i haven't read the article yet but apparently some other people agree with us well, I've also noticed that one of the best things for quarantine, I don't, I don't know if it's actually good for me, but it's feeling good, is things that really scratch the nostalgia itch. Yes. Um, you know, that we're, it's, there's something about comfort food right now. You know, anything that just feels like 
familiar and easy and not too challenging. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been watching any horror movies or, you know, really sad documentaries like, you know, Anya's watching Seinfeld. I'm listening to Harry Potter audiobooks. And then it's also all about NVIDIA. I'm like really getting into the video game remakes. The video game world is like got my number this year. I mean, re-releasing Final Fantasy VII Remake, which my favorite game of all time. And then literally my second place favorite game of all time, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, is also being remade this year. Both coming out in the year that I actually have time to play video games. It's crazy. But yeah, going back to things is, I don't, you know, I feel like it, there's something, there are downsides to it. Mm-hmm. If you just like kind of live in the comfortable past, you don't really push yourself forward. And I actually think that's a bit of a cultural problem right now. I mean, the fact that we all just want to watch Marvel movies over and over for the rest of our lives, even though we're grown ass men, it's like, mm, I don't, I don't know if that's stunting our mental growth, oh, our emotional growth. It maybe. is. Make no mistake. <laughs> But when there's a pandemic going on, I'm like, well, at least at least I have an excuse to pretend I'm still 16 years old. Well, the excuse is just a lot easier now. Yeah. Before you'd have to, mm-hmm. you know, be like, no, there's some really interesting social political. <laughs> yeah. No, that, there's that one. Um, yeah. That one movie had some political stuff in it. They're totally for grownups where, yeah, now it's like, I have an excuse. There's a pandemic. I'm going to watch what I want. Don't give me a hard time. Exactly. About yeah. It. yeah. Um, well, you know, what's been frustrating though, is that revisiting Harry Potter now, you know, the last time, and so I didn't, I read the first book in paper and then I, the rest, I all listened to the audiobooks back when it was probably like 17 or so, 17 to 20, something like that. And then, um, coming back to it now, it actually, unfortunately, some of it does start to fall apart as you scrutinize it more, which I didn't want it to. But um, like the writing, so here's my review of Harry Potter. Okay. Anybody has read it. <laughs> Everyone's okay. been waiting. The, write, the writing in Harry Potter is excellent. Like her control of prose is wonderful. Um, just, you know, great character development. Uh, you know, descriptions of locations is beautiful. Very, it flows nicely. It's, there's like clarity along with sophistication. Like it's, it works. It's great. It's a great read. Where the biggest problems are, are overall plot. The plot starts to trip over itself quite a bit because it's so complex. There is so much stuff happening that as soon as you start looking closely, you're like, oh, this kind of doesn't make sense and neither does this. And it it doesn't it doesn't get better as you think harder about it, which you kind of want, yeah. you know, especially really deep worlds like this, big, rich, big worlds. You want to like look closer and closer and feel like you're more immersed. But if you think, yeah, there's a lot of plot points. That you're like, Ooh, that uh, is a bit of a, so great examples, the Marauders map, which, you know, Harry uses in various times, like find it where people are in the castle. All of a sudden you start realizing like that could have solved a lot, virtually all your problems all the time is just like looking at this map of where everyone in Hogwarts is. Um, anyway. Well, is it possible so, yeah. that JK Rowling came up with that idea and she was like, this is my exit strategy. I'm out. And the publisher like dragged <laughs> yeah. her back to her writing desk and said, no, well, you gotta, you gotta pump I, four I, more it, of these out. It, that's part of the challenge of making such a long series too is you know she's like she's just she's not censoring her good ideas she's like this is a really great idea for the story i'm writing today and i'm not going to worry about if it creates challenges for me three years from now um and then when it does create that challenge in three years she's like i'll just brush it aside like let's let's keep the momentum going and for kids that 100 percent works now as an adult i'm a little yeah, I don't know. You, it's still great, though. I mean, I've really been enjoying it. I've, I've been looking forward to that because that's my, you know, I did not read them or I haven't seen the movies, even the one that uh, Quaron directed, the third one. What? I think. You haven't even seen? Yeah, the third one. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, yeah, when Liam's, you know, eight, I thought, what's the good age? You've done it. Well, so, okay, this is, a, this is what I was asking, and I'd love to hear some feedback from the audience here, too. The problem is that the first books, the very first book is really written for someone, you know, around like 10 years old in mind, like eight, nine, 10. Perfect. But then what do you do? Do you only read them one book a year? Because once you get to book, you know, five, it's dark. Like there's some heavy stuff in there that an eight-year-old would have a hard time with, especially the end. You know, if you get to the finale, like a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of characters dying and you're like, this is pretty sad. And um, you know, it's 
it was written so that the kids reading at the beginning would yeah. grow up with it. Right. And by the time the last book's out there, you know, able to, to handle some of the mature subject matter. So I don't know. It's like, do you just get them started early and then hope they keep interest over the next five or six years? Well, I, I mean, I let's, know. let's suppose I start at age eight. Um, I can, you can deceive a child uh, and say that the other, <laughs> Never been done. the other books are not yet available. She's working on <laughs> yeah. them. And, and just set set yeah. up some fake releases. And, and like, uh, we're going to go line up for it. At, uh, when, when he's 10 years old, he's going to be furious when one of his yeah, friends right. is Once like, figures yeah. cracks That's the true. Yeah, you could get away with it. Um, I, I think it actually kind of has to be something like that. But Yeah. Um, okay, noted. Yeah. I'll, I'll slow that's that down. my that's my strategy but then of course bigger question our next uh binge is is going to be star wars and there's a bit of an argument of are we going chronological or universe chronological or real world chronological and i think i've been losing the argument there's so far. this undersung um way to watch those movies which is just watch the good ones and i don't think it gets <laughs> nearly enough uh attention but it's I mean, if Anya's rewatching okay, Seinfeld, is she watching every Seinfeld, or is she like, yes? I, oh, she really? Oh, okay, episode, okay. Because yeah. I'm very much like I'm going to go watch this one, this one, this one, and this one. And I think Star Wars should be treated the same way, frankly. Yeah, that's very that's that's very reasonable. And if I was doing it by myself, I'd probably do that. But there's something satisfying about the like just completely wrapping the world around you like a warm fuzzy blanket for a few weeks and just uh, existing in it. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to go complete on this one. I just, I also, because I want to see the Disney Plus HD versions as well. Or I, I get, I mean, so they're playing in, wait, I should check this. Are they 4K or HD? I mean, I know they're from new 4K scans. Right. So the original three, from what I saw, look the best I've ever seen them in the Disney Plus version. Right. So I'm excited for that. I want to watch those on a good TV. Yeah. Well, but then you have to remember that those were, well, and the first one, I guess, were film. But like they can't yeah. make a 4K version of the second and third films. They were shot in 1080, and I, and even if <laughs> and you barely. watch those ones that were on film, like all the the digital effects were just mastered in probably not even 2K. So I I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like I, they would have like, been done in 2K even back then. Yeah. Well, I guess they could redo them and stuff. But I do feel like resolution with all these remastered things. It's like don't don't tell me how many Ks it has. Just tell me like you brought in a new colorist. Then I'm excited. You know what looked really good was uh, we watched. I'm probably not going to finish it. But we watched the first five episodes of the Michael Jordan Netflix series, okay, yeah. which is called Oh the Last Dance. Um, all of a lot of the documentaries filmed in the late '90s on film, you know, I assume 16 millimeter and it looks so good. Like it just looks beautiful the whole time. And they're cutting back and forth to modern footage that was shot on, on reds. Like I was looking at the behind the scenes, you know, it's like the the most expensive red out there. Mm -hmm. The film looks so much better. It looks amazing. It's like, it's the highlight of this documentary. Um, yeah. And I don't know, maybe we lost some things in the back in time, but I mean, I still, I adore the look. I actually, when I did your podcast a while back, um, I was talking about this indie film, happy Christmas that was shot on 16. And I was just like, this looks different and I kind of love it. And that's a very recent film, but yeah, it, it, it does have, you know, an organic kind of texture and it's lovely. And there's a lot more thought going into everything because it's costing a hell of a lot more money to shoot Michael Jordan doing things back then. Speaking of film, I've been, I don't know how much I have to say about it right now, but I've been using Film Convert Nitrate, the mm. new film emulation stuff from Film Convert, which uh, I had used a lot before. I really liked it. And I kind of just stopped using it because it was relatively heavy compared to LUTs. So like it would slow down my exports. Um, they've totally rewritten pretty much everything. Um, I'm not really deep into it yet. I just wanted to throw out there that I like it. Like I re I'm really happy that they're doing this. I think they're making some great progress with it. Uh, and I don't know of any better film emulation, especially in terms of the actual grain and stuff. Yeah. It's beautiful. So yeah, take a look at what they're doing. If you, if anybody out there is interested in getting that film look. Yeah. Well, if you um, see that film that we just released online, a walk down to water uh, that I almost never 
use film convert and use the grain setting on it because it just destroys YouTube compression, uh, that artificial grain. But, uh, I do really like the color off of it, but that was a movie that we were releasing, uh, you know, with a proper DCP, no compression. So, uh, we did put some film convert, uh, with the film emulation on there. And I love the look of it, uh, that came out of that. Actually, uh, Alan, who worked with you quite a bit in the past, did the great on that and did a lovely job with it. Oh, awesome. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about the movie too. I don't know if you told me much about it while you were shooting it, but it was a while ago that you actually shot it, right? Yeah. Two years ago, we shot this thing and it's been doing the film fest rounds for about a year now. It's been doing quite well. Uh, so we just decided since there's not a lot of film festivals and it was still scheduled for a few, we did a short online release of it. Um, and it's, we're going to be doing it again. This time we did something with film shortage, but just every once in a while it'll be up for a week on a variety of websites. Uh, it's kind of the plan right now, just so there's still some anticipation for when we do finally just, you know, leave it up. Or if, you know, there's actually film festivals again towards the end of the year, it'd be nice to actually get it in a few more of those. But definitely, uh, yeah, it's an interesting film. It takes place almost in real time after a hotel owner finds a body. Uh, in one of the hotel rooms. And obviously, he's working alone. You can't just go up to another um, person in the hotel and say, uh, hey, I found this body and I'm kind of freaking out about it a little bit. Um, so it's a look at a few people who have stuff going on that they can't really talk to other people about. Uh, and yeah, it was directed by a good friend of mine, Levi Hallwell. And uh, yeah, yeah, you should definitely great. check it out. You got a chance to see it in the theater, didn't you? No, I mean, I was out of town or oh, something. Okay. Something happened. Yeah, no, I didn't get to see it. I so I still haven't seen it, it. But yeah. make sure to give me the link that would be most useful for everybody to check out, yeah. and that will be in the show notes. I'll hit you with that. Um, yeah, however they can find the most information about it, because at least watching the trailer is totally worthwhile. It looks it looks beautiful, and that was shot on Red Weapon. Is that right? Yeah, the well, the Dragon Six K sensor. Um, which was a huge pain. Uh, you know, it's overheating. We shot it on the hottest weekend of the year and, uh, fan noise is brutal and lens mount changes take forever. Uh, super tedious. But then, of course, once you get it in post, you're like, ah, you know what? It was all sort of it worth it. It was all worth yeah. it. Yeah, but yeah. then, I mean, it does, it looks great. Like the, the color is really nice. Lighting's nice. Yeah. The, uh, the best looking footage, though, weirdly enough, is with the GH5S that's filming me right now. So. <laughs> Wait, you're saying the best footage is you right now? Uh, no, the best. The, uh, it, well, the, yeah, <laughs> this is it. This is this is as good as it gets. Is, yeah, if you think that walk down to water looks good, wait till you see this webcam setup here. Uh, but yeah, it is uh, you know a huge difference when you're shooting on a bright overcast day with an amazing camera. Uh, it looks pretty good, but then if you go to Denmark and shoot in the mist by the ocean with a much less expensive camera, it's still much much nicer footage. Well, yeah, haze goes a very, very long way. Yeah. Uh, something else, a, a general topic I wanted to ask you a bit about is what do you think is going to happen with the camera industry coming up? And I don't want to get too like in, de- in depth because like, you know, none of us have any very useful behind the scenes information about where things are going to go. So I don't want to you know speculate who's going to go out of business and who isn't. But obviously the whole world is having a difficult year to say the least. Um, and how is this going to affect cameras that are released? Um, you know, already it's shifted some schedules. I think the immediate few schedule is already set, yeah. right? Companies knew what they were going to release. Maybe they had to bump some dates, but more or less that's still, that's going to be what comes out. What, what's it going to be like in 2021, 2022? Like, are we going to see, I don't know. What do you think we're going to see? How is this going to change from what was going on before the pandemic started? Well, I think the big things that I'm, well, that I'm worried about is everyone's R&D is just going to get crushed, like for developing new technologies and stuff like that. Uh, You know, if your camera company is selling 40% what they did the year before, even if it's a big company like Sony or Panasonic, they're not going to say like, oh, let's give the you know, engineers the same budget going forward mm-hmm. when things are cratering like that. So, you know, this is a time right now where I think because of what's going on with phones and everything like that, there's a need for a lot of innovation. And I am worried, you know, it's going to take a lot of money to do their own computational tricks and come up with a way to excite the market again. So I am worried about that. I think if you're more interested in the video side of things, then we're going to be pretty solid because uh, there's been a huge uptick just in terms of traffic and interest on 
things that can be used for what we're doing right now, you know, shooting a conversation with proper cameras, a lot of interest in audio with people working remotely. And I think a lot of people aren't going to go back to offices after this. So having a good video setup is going to be very important for stills. I mean, that's where I'm pretty scared. And I do think the people who are very stills focused, we're going to lose a few of them in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think um, I think it it's inevitable. I don't want to guess at who it'll be because no. I don't want to wish anyone poorly. Like I, 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 there are every company is doing something good right now. Every brand has a camera that I like and don't want to go away. So, you know, I hope everybody, uh, all, all the different camera brands, make it through. That may not happen, but uh, but no, I mean, I'm I 100 percent think you're right about the the video thing. It's something we've talked about on the show a few times already. That this ability to stream and communicate through video production is going to, it's going to become like, I mean, it, it was, it already was, but it's going to become something like being able to type well, you know, being able to format an email properly. You're just going to need to know how to do this and not look foolish. doesn't mean everybody's going to need to be a professional, but you need to look competent and professional when you present yourself over the internet. Cause like you say, work from home is going to be much more common than it was before. Yeah. Not that everybody can do it, but it'll be much more widespread. And that involves technology and cameras and mics. Yeah. Well, and I also think a lot of people are just going to get a taste for it in this situation. And we're already seeing a lot of, uh, yeah, the, like I said, the tutorials and everything seem to be doing extremely well. I think people are like, well, I'm sitting here working with a camera all the time. I might as well uh, learn how to use it properly. And I think a lot of those people are going to leave their house and still have that interest and grow in that direction. Um, I think something that'll happen that it, this has already been a trend and it's going to pick up really fast is that the the long tail of smaller creators that, you know, there's, there's thousands and millions of people making some kind of content that will get much wider. Like there will be a lot more people making videos that aren't viewed as much, but that are still taking attention. And the big numbers at the top, I think, are going to start to gradually shrink a little bit because everybody's going to be doing it. I think it's going to be much more challenging than before than to to build up a bigger YouTube channel, whereas it'll be much easier to build a simple YouTube channel and and everybody will be doing it or, or not necessarily YouTube, but some kind of content creation. I've already seen, I mean, the amount of podcasts that I've seen launched. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, I think and, podcasting is the perfect example of what is going to happen with YouTube mm-hmm. right now. Like yeah. the big podcasts are still the original podcasts. Um, you know, the, the older ones for them, you know, you have the odd exception like serial or something like that. Um, well, that's the old one now, but yeah. <laughs> God, I'm so old. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I do think we're going to see something very similar where there's just a truckload of, yeah, these smaller channels that are definitely pulling attention. Since I'm not commuting all the time, I'm racked with guilt of not keeping up with the barrage of podcasts I used show. to go through. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm up on you, I think. Oh, yeah, pretty sure. Wow. Okay. <laughs> You listen to them all on three X just to get ready for this episode. Yeah. Just rushing through. I have no idea what was said or any, any ideas could fit. Yeah. It's also th- this format of content that's relatively easy to produce without planning. Like this conversational thing. This is what normal people will be able to produce more easily as well compared to YouTube style videos that require, you know, scripting and planning and organizing B-roll shots and bringing it all together. Whereas like a back and forth like this, this is going to be a lot more common, I think, and will become a much more popular format. So, you know, that's kind of bad news for this show. I think it will be much harder for shows like this to stay as relevant as they were. And I'm not specifically talking about myself. This is, I mean, this is going to be a number one for sure, but you know, there'll be Joe Rogan and then there'll be the rest of us. Yeah. I think that's totally fair to say. I do like to think that Having a background and understanding the language of it will elevate you, but I've been proven wrong before and will probably be proven wrong again. <laughs> yeah, well, and like I say, the most important thing I think is being comfortable and competent in it. And it's the same as why I think it's important for people to have photography skills right now. It's not so that everyone can go become a pre- professional photographer. It's that no matter what your job is, there is a lot of utility in being able to present yourself online by taking good photos. Right. Like it doesn't mean that everybody is going to get a paycheck from learning to use their camera, but by using your camera better, 
your existing job, depending on what it is, but many of them can be performed a little bit better because you're, you're the one in the office that really you know, knows how to take nice pictures and knows how to build a website and uh, gets the technology and that puts you at such a huge advantage. But I mean, that's what I talk about in every episode of this. So. <laughs> Here I am again yeah. on my soapbox of... Uh, this is this is DP Review Ambassador Jordan Drake saying that photography is good and you should probably get into photography and learn to do yeah, it Yeah, keep well. buying those cameras. Yeah, please. Any other predictions about where the, where the industry is going? I mean, I think it's going to go much more, and we're already seeing this. It's going to go towards enthusiasts and pros will be the two major markets. I think we're just going to see the sub thousand dollar with, I mean, honestly, this is kind of a very good idea of where the sub thousand dollar camera is going to go, um, in the foreseeable future. If you're listening to the podcast, I just waved around that ZV1 again, but, um, I, I think that's going to drop off. Now, that's great for people like you and I, because they're going to be targeting people who are making a living or are very into cameras and things, as opposed to, I think a lot of the time they were like, this is a pretty good model, but it needs to appeal to a wide audience, you know, something like a Canon RP or something like that. I think those cameras are going to start to disappear very quickly. And I'm okay with that. I mean, you know, cameras were very capable devices that not everyone bought it was one person in the family was the family photographer and i think it's going to go that way in terms of designated cameras there's one person who's really into it everyone else is going to be happy with their point and shoots and you know the market is certainly going to contract from where it was when everybody needed a digital camera a while back uh but if it's a smaller group of people making them and enjoying them but they're all produced for people who are really into it then I think that's still a very viable business. But for some, I think we'll certainly lose some. Yeah, yeah. And things still look good for video cameras, so I'm excited about that. Exactly. So what do you think of this Canon R5 that uh, we are waiting forever for? I'm really excited about the R5. Um, not for the reason that everyone says I should be excited about it. Uh, I'm Well, we just had this conversation about Star Wars. <laughs> I don't think resolution <laughs> okay. is the end-all be-all right. uh, yep. of cameras. Uh, so the 8K headline feature doesn't excite me too terribly much. Raw it, excitement. It fills me with dread. I do not want an 8K. I, I want to not have an 8K camera. Yeah, exactly. I would rather... I, if they were like, you can pay 50 bucks to take 8K off of it and make it only 4.5K, I would pay that... <laughs> Well, and that's the difficult thing. If it shoots 8K RAW, that means it's not shooting 4K RAW because RAW yeah. is the full information from the sensor, uh, unless they do even more processing, which is what they're trying to avoid. But having a Canon that I can put RF lenses on with IBIS and a new sensor, like that is extremely exciting to me. Like I will use this as a 10-bit 422 4K camera Um that's yeah that i can drop the canon 50 and 85 one two on uh i think that's extremely exciting but yeah i'm gonna switch it to 8k i'm gonna shoot the necessary samples for me to complete a comprehensive review of the camera and i'm never gonna touch that ever again but uh but the rest of it i'm very excited and it's just gonna drive them to make more of those amazing rf lenses which i think are very quickly becoming one of the best lens lineups out there right now I'm in such a rough place right now because I'm, I've been pursuing this cinema EF mount track, yeah. you know, with the C200, I would love to get a C500. Those are all about EF. There's no way to use RF lenses on it. At the same time, I got an EOS R this year. So now, you know, uh, I don't know. It's like, I'm in a weird place of like, I don't know where to put my attention because I want both and there's no sign that... EF will become any less important that I could only live on RF. It mm -hmm. just feels like, oh yeah, you want to be a, a Canon shooter? You probably just need all of the lenses right now, which I don't love. Yeah, I, I think we're definitely going to see the RF camcorders. I mean, Red's doing it, so Canon's licensing it to somebody. Uh, that Komodo is going to be an RF mount. Uh, and if you have RF, oh, you can yes, drop right. EF uh, adapters on there, and there's really no penalties. I mean, you've used the uh, R's more than I have for video shooting, but it's pretty seamless, right? It doesn't feel at all mm -hmm. like uh, there's any uh, anything disabled like you see on so many other lens mounts, like the uh, L mount that I'm using right now. If you adapt lenses to that, you lose continuous autofocus. There's nothing like that on the Canon side. So, uh, But I think the next generation of Canon cinema cameras are all going to be RF, and your EF glass is going to work. But uh, 
but I think that's the way that they're going to move it. And I'm thrilled about that because then it's a lot more adaptable. I don't like EF mount camcorders because I want to put PL lenses on. Uh, a walk down to water we shot big chunks of with Nikon AI lenses, which I adored the look of. Um, so I think, yeah, mirrorless is the future, and your EF lenses are still going to be great. But you're just in a tough bind right now. Yeah. And maybe it's just this year that feels awkward because C500 Mark II is, is EF. And next year or the year after, whenever it is, we go to RF. Now it'll all make sense. Yeah. Well, the uh, 502, I think, is that's the one giant misstep with that camera. Other than that, it looks like an almost perfect cinema camera. Well, and I don't even know if it's a miss. Like, if I were to buy it right now, it wouldn't be a misstep. It'd be like, great, this works with all the lenses I have. Until you use the 15 to 35 2.8 IS RF lens. Mm, and then you'll be actually, like, that might damn, be man, I wish that's I could true. throw that on this beautiful body. I, I haven't used it yet. Another thing I remembered that I wanted to touch on just because I thought it was pretty cool lately. I don't know if you'll have any thoughts on it, but uh, so a lot of software has 90 day free trials right now. One of them that I've been using is for Apple logic. Mm. Uh, I, you know, this podcast, I traditionally edit in audition lately since I've been doing the video episodes, a, a lot of the editing is happening in final cut. And sometimes I'll pull the final audio into audition for some extra cleanup, but uh, I just decided it was usually it's too much work to kind of do two edits. So I'm doing almost all of it inside final cut. Um, but I've wanted to know, you know, first of all, does the logic integration into the Apple ecosystem make it a little bit easier, but then what was really cool in the latest release, that's like, th there's just a lot of brand new features that make the music part of audition a lot more appealing to somebody that doesn't understand anything about music <laughs> like me. Um, and I'm selling myself a little bit short. Like I, yeah, I, I know kind of, how music works. Like I took piano lessons as a kid and I can poorly play a guitar and drums, but like all of it, not very well. But what's awesome is all of these live loops features and it's bringing together ideas that already existed in other apps where you have, you know, just think of it as like a series of squares and each square is a button that you can press to start playing a loop and it automatically syncs them. So uh, you can actually sync it with your iPad. So you've got your computer in front of you running the software. Then your iPad becomes just a control service where you can basically play it like an instrument, just playing back different loops that either you've constructed or are pre-made and downloadable either by Apple or third parties. All of a sudden it's like the, the professional software became the fun play around with it software. And what I really want to use it for is doing some like basic scoring yeah. for YouTube videos you know, not even to do like full songs. No, it's just, just like, oh, this, you know, so it's not silent in the back. I could just have like a beat and a bass line. Yeah. Well, and that's what yeah. I'm always looking for going through stock music so much. You know, I want something attention grabbing when we go through the title cards and stuff. But so often I'm just like, what will be the least noticeable thing that I can <laughs> Yeah, what can you ignore? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I have a set of electric drums. So I'm always like, should I just go oh, like sit that. down and just like, you know, boom, bap, boom, boom, bap underneath something and record that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had so much fun with GarageBand back in the day, just building quick loops. And I saw some of the Apple demonstrations. I haven't opened the new Logic yet, but uh, it just really brought me back to, what was that, 10 years ago when you would just sit there and mess around with the same mandolin and drum rhythms in GarageBand for hours, but so much more powerful and flexible. And there's other, okay, so just some of the other features that are really cool that I'm not going to use. Like the, the coolest one is there's this synthesizer. Okay. The, I, again, I know a lot of this stuff happened in other software. It's not the first time it's existed, but okay. Let's say you've got like a third party synth that you love the sound of. Like, let's say it's a, uh, analog synth, right? So you've got wires running in the back of it and takes you a while to dial in the exact sound. This isn't me again, but I just like this idea. Now you can plug it into your computer or, um, you know, just as long as it has MIDI, so it can send a signal back and forth. Once you've got uh, the sound dialed in the way you want, you can tell uh, Logic to just capture that entire instrument and it'll tell the instrument to start playing the sound samples back and it'll capture every note in every frequency wow. and now it'll create that sample inside of your computer so you've got like a perfect capture of what you created in the analog world that you can now replicate digitally with the software I'm like i don't know i'm just, again i was i've said this before i think audio stuff is like the coolest gear I'm, it's too bad that I'm bad at music because I just love 
how audio stuff works, but uh, anyway, I mean, I have a MIDI keyboard on the way anyway, so I will be experimenting with this a little bit more. So do you think now that you've used it with Final Cut, do you think you'll migrate some of your podcasting to Logic or are you just having fun with music right now? Yeah, right now I'm just having fun with it. Like I'm going to, I'm going to see, because this is nice to have less software. Like I think we're also getting to this place where it is becoming more realistic to not use Adobe, which I'm not trying to get away from. I've seen people that are like celebrating it and they don't, you know, they don't want the creative suite anymore. That was me. I don't feel that way. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, Adobe has so much really great software. I really like a lot of stuff that they do and I use it every day and I'm very comfortable with it. But um, the, the only thing that I couldn't replace right now, it feels like not couldn't, that would be really difficult to replace would be Photoshop um, because I have so much muscle memory already built into it. And I know that if I started learning, let's say affinity photo, I mean, honestly, I probably could replace Photoshop. Like you, you could do everything with, and let's go over it. So we're kind of clear. Like I'd, I'd use affinity instead of Photoshop. I'd use capture one instead of Lightroom. I'd use logic instead of audition. I would use final cut instead of premiere. I'd use motion instead of after effects. What's left. Acrobat reader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I'd use preview. I don't know. I'd use a web browser. Um, no, no, no. Uh, Illustrator. Oh, yeah. There is also Affinity something. Yeah. Yeah. I keep hearing I about from the Affinity switchers all the time and it sounds, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm so burned out on Adobe, but then uh, recently we've started producing our own sample galleries for DP review. So now if you look at some of the galleries there, Chris and I uh, taking the photos and we have to standardize those and they use default Adobe settings for it. So I had to re-enroll for an Adobe subscription just in the last few months here. And I am every time it's right beside my capture one but, logo on the dock. It's just, but why me. is this? What do you, so what drive, is it just the subscription price that bothers you? Like, I don't actually, no. cause there was a movement like this back in the Microsoft days where people were like, I want to get all the Microsoft software yeah. off my computer. And I think to me, that was all about the poor design choices of Microsoft. Yeah. Like it's, a lot of it's just clunky and messy and doesn't feel good to use. I don't feel like that with Adobe. Like Adobe yeah. designs good software, I think. Yeah. Well, I think like I find no, I Lightroom think, you know, very intuitive to use. Uh, it's more yeah. a matter of, like the performance is just, and I'm not running, you know, one of the new Mac pros or anything like that. Like this is a couple year old oh, laptop, <laughs> but man, like import and export on capture one, yeah, like seeing them cook true. through it a third of the time. Uh, is, you know, incredibly frustrating. And yeah, I didn't have a lot of hard crashes with Capture One and Lightroom and Photoshop. I'm right back to constant crashes on these things. Um, with and without uh, hardware acceleration, I've tried the stuff online. It just seems like I really need to sit down and optimize it. But I also don't want to because when I'm editing photos the way I want to, I'm using Capture One right now. So it's it's a struggle. Well, and you shouldn't have to, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you, it'd be nice to just use your software, just turn it on and starts working. Um, also, I mean, bad news about you're saying you don't have a Mac pro. The first time I really noticed how bad it was, was testing that Mac pro and using Lightroom, And that it was like, Oh, this doesn't use any of the additional CPU cores. Like that's that'll be so totally frustrating. Useless, so yeah, but I mean, I have seen that um, Premiere updated their rendering engine. It's yeah. supposed to have gotten faster. Uh, I'm, I'm not using Premiere right now, so I don't I haven't tested that. But people are saying good things. I saw Seems like a yeah. decent time to be using it. Our mutual friend Gerald posted a thing that was pretty impressive with that. So, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm very used to cutting now with Final Cut. It was before when I left Premiere. Um, you know, it was performance issues. Now it's more. I love. Final Cut's timeline. Um, so uh, I don't think I'd be going back to Premiere for that. But, uh, you know, the film A Walk Down to Water was cut uh, on Premiere. And in that case, having some optimization would have been really great because it was a slog working with 6K RAW uh, through that. I had to explain this to someone recently. Uh, Anya's nephew has been helping us edit and I've been teaching him some Final Cut. So I had to explain, like, here's, here's why I choose Final Cut instead of Premiere. Um, my favorite part about the timeline is that it's so much harder to completely fuck the whole thing up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like in Premiere, it's pretty trivial to just move a few things around and you're like, wait a minute, where did everything go? Like all of a sudden a whole section isn't aligned anymore. You've 
blown, like you've just blown it up and you're like, I was just doing basic edits here. So what the habits I built was like, as I'd get further into a premiere edit, I'd become more and more afraid of changing things earlier in the edit. Like you shouldn't, and I don't like that resistance to making a change. I'm like, ah, you know, I know I should refine this part, but I know there's also a 20% chance I'll break the rest of it. So I'm going to stay away from it. That's not, that's not ideal. I know editors get comfortable enough that they don't have that hesitation, but you know, I had edited for a long time. I was, I've been pretty comfortable in it and I could still make big mistakes all the time. Well, I've been working with a traditional timeline since I was, what, 16? And still, I find uh, the exact same thing. I mean, editing in Final Cut's kind of like having rich parents. Like, you can make a bad decision, <laughs> right. and the consequences, you. you know, it's bad. But you can certainly, it's not going to ruin your life, where Premiere is absolutely one bad decision can ruin your life kind of thing, where, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of work to go back. Uh, especially if you've sunk up to songs and stuff like that. I know there's ways to lock it in the head, but uh, I forget about a lot of that stuff. So yeah, I just love the way that Final Cut works. And I think we're seeing now with Resolve uh, moving more in a Final Cut kind of direction. I think we'll see everybody slowly slide that way in the next few years. Well, I was going to say, have you been using Resolve yourself for anything specific lately? Well, Resolve has been a raw processor for me. So I I think last time I was on here, I said, like, if only there was something that happened that I could really spend some time and focus, uh, then I would learn Resolve. But uh, we're still doing two episodes a week through this. So that actually didn't happen this time. But I'm still waiting for that opportunity, you know, take a week off and uh, really learn Resolve inside out, because it would be great to have that kind of color correction tools in my primary editor. That would be awesome. Well, yeah. And what still kills me is even though I've learned more and more in Resolve and realized how amazing it is because I do I do that raw processing in there, then in a, in a lot of my normal edits, though, I never, I never want to pass my footage back to Resolve from Final Cut no. or from anything. It's like, I know that's what professionals do. It's a terrible workflow. Mm-hmm. Like, you go and you grade your stuff and then you want to make a change. And now you are committing to like, okay, great. I'm going to waste 15 minutes of moving these back and forth again. Like this is not efficient. So then you're like, well, why don't I just do the whole edit and resolve? And I'm like, well, cause I like final cut and I don't, you know, I don't want to. So I don't know. That's, that's been really frustrating. It's and it, it really does make resolve appealing. Like I've had moments where I'm like, should I try learning it? Uh, but I've also had it flake out a few times. I still have it crash more often than Final Cut does. And that's not, I don't, yeah, I don't like that. And, I, but like also relearning something right now feels like a lot of work. So I don't know. I, but you know what? What it means to me is that Final Cut and Premiere are going to have a lot of work to do earning the respect of the next generation because they're all going to be using Resolve because it's free and they're going to realize like, oh, I'm already comfortable with the software and it does a better job at color grading than uh, Adobe or Apple do. Why would I even consider trying to learn one of these more expensive pieces of software and they're going to stay in Resolve? So, um, you know, I I just think that color tools need to get amazing in Premiere and in Final Cut. Yeah, in Final Cut, I just grabbed the new Color Resolve or Color Finale 2 and uh, it totally bogged my system down. So oh, yeah. yeah, so I'm. Uh, it looks great, the, especially working with if you have a camera that can shoot ProRes RAW. It's a wonderful tool for that because uh, you get more conventional sliders. But yeah, it just slowed everything right down. So I'm going to still be sticking to the main tools as much as possible. Cool. Uh, what are you going to do next in life? On DP review, uh, in general, what's uh, what are your plans? Uh, well, DP review is life. That's what they make you. You, you take that. Uh, <laughs> that's their motto. That's okay. the oath. Yeah, when you jump over. So uh, yeah, I've got the XT4 review coming up next week that I'm very excited about. I love that camera. So it's been a lot of fun to test it a little bit more. Uh, but it's going to be kind of the same. Um, you know, two episodes a week, short and along for the foreseeable future. Uh, I am really hoping once travel opens up again, we're trying to bank a little budget to go do more of a DP review roadshow kind of episode, uh, hit up some Canadian landmarks. So that uh, will oh, hopefully nice. come up. Uh, that's something we've been talking about a lot, but it's just not feasible right now. Um, that's what I got. What are you doing next? <laughs> Uh, good question. Star Wars, I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, we're starting to have a little bit of work picked back up. Uh, like we have some, 
sort of simple commercial shoots that are are kind of happening with um, sort of no no crew shoots, mm. <laughs> which is I mean cool. Yeah. Um, well, you can do it. That's you're in a lucky position there. Well, lucky. This is what I'm pitching everybody all the time. This is why I keep saying full stack creator because anybody that can you know uh, do this kind of stuff like it's uh, it's very huge advantage. I mean, one, one thing we're actually doing is shooting some social content for a, you know, pretty big company that we're not, we don't need to post anywhere, but they're like, we, you know, we just need some photography and we're able to just do it from home and we're not in it. We're just, it's just our hands and the product and, you know, displaying it in different ways. And that I think there's been a bunch of companies that have reached out to different agencies. And actually we were talking about this on the episode with Matt Workman where he's doing this in virtual production, but same thing's happening for photography and, and commercial stuff where it's like, Hey, what can you do from home by yourself? I mean, if you go to the Zara website right now, I assume it's still like this, but all the models are just shooting themselves at themselves at home. They're taking their own photos. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird new economy, but um, you know, the the biggest assets we have is that ability to do a lot of different things because as business picks up it's not all coming back at once at all and you know i've never been more grateful that we have a few different services that we're able to provide because it means that you know gradually we can ramp up doing a little bit more and a little bit more so mm-hmm. yeah i don't know that's and then yeah star wars actually no i got i mean i should finish all the harry potter books first uh, I don't know if I can first. It's it's hard. I I don't know if I have enough time. I'm gonna have to like just take some time off, and I still have to finish Final Fantasy VII. I'm like 35 hours in. I'm right near the end, so I'll report back in the next episode with updates on all of this. Yeah, but I, uh, I want to hear those for, those Final Fantasy updates for sure. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be there. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on, Jordan. This was fun. Thanks, Tyler. Mm-hmm.